And the rest of you, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2. We're uh, beginning a new series today called Overflow. And I love this graphic because it's the idea that, that God flows into our lives. He's a, he's a giving, generous God. And that from what He pours into us, we then pour out to others. And this is not a series just about finances. When we talk about generosity, it's not limited to finances. It's generosity in every area of our life. That God is a generous God, and that's going to be the focus today. And that, and that as a, He's a generous God, we are to grow to be like Him. So we are to be generous people. And, and somebody once said that you're never more like God than when you are loving and generous because God is such a loving and generous God. So today's message, you guys, it's going to be so encouraging. It's going to bless you. It's all positive. It's just about how awesome our God is. It's just going to be all about our amazing, generous, giving God. And, and I just know that it's going to bless you. I know that it's going to encourage you, not because I deliver it, but because it's God's Word. And I love preaching on who God is. Because as I've told you many times, that if you look at my house diagram, the foundation is an accurate, biblical, truth-filled understanding of the nature of God. That if you know God rightly, that's the beginning. That's the foundation of everything else. But if you don't understand God accurately, if you have a skewed view of God, then everything else will be shaky and, and your house will be built on a shaky foundation. You can stay seated today for the reading of God's Word because I'm going to make a few comments as we go through this. So uh, let's begin in, in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now stop right there. Think about this. Can you imagine that, that, that something that, the, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has even imagined? In other words, it's beyond anything anybody has seen, heard, or even thought, or even imagined. What is it? It's what God has prepared for those who love Him. God has this, this warehouse of blessings and goodness and riches and wealth for those who love Him. I don't know about you, but this motivates me. By the way, uh, Josh, it's a little loud up here. It might be the monitors. Um, it motivates me to see God. It motivates me to love God. It motivates me to know God better when I realize that He's got so much prepared for me and you. I don't want to get to heaven and have a lot of surprises. How about you? I want to get to know God and, and, and experience God and understand God in the fullest way imaginable on earth. And so this just invites me in. This is like a welcome mat laid out for us, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things, what's the these things? The things that God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us. He doesn't keep it hidden. He's a revealing God. And how does He reveal it to us? Through the Spirit. Okay, when do you get the Holy Spirit? When you get saved. Ephesians 1.13, Romans 8.9-11. When you get saved, when you are born again, when you receive Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. You get all of the Holy Spirit. You don't just get an ounce of Him. You don't just get three quarters of Him. You get all of Him. And it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. One of the purposes. Now, we talk a lot about the purpose of the Holy Spirit. We talk about Him empowering us to witness, manifesting the fruit of the, of, the, of the Spirit. We talk about Him giving us the grace and the means by which we can live a holy life. Yes, 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 yes. Well, here, one of His purposes is what? To reveal to us the things that God has prepared for us. So listen to the Holy Spirit today. 
Let the Holy Spirit who lives in you show you new things that God wants to do in your life and, and the wonderful things that He's prepared for those who love Him. So He reveals them to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. I don't know about you, but I want to get to the depths of God. I've told you many times, I believe the Christian life is like an ocean. Water shallow enough for a toddler to get in and experience, but deep enough for the most advanced spiritual scuba diver to never get to the depths of. And this is the depths of God. So some of you, you've experienced the surface level things of God. That's fine and dandy. That's a good start. But how about going to the deep things of God? This is why the Christian life should never be boring. There's always deeper places, deeper waters, deeper things of God for you and I to know and experience. So he searches the depths of God. The Spirit of God does this. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So we have our spirit. We have God's spirit. Here we go. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God. Now think about that. The thoughts of God. Here's a good homework assignment for you. Go home today and just say, God, I want to know more about your thoughts. God, what are you thinking about today? What's on your mind today, God? What's important to you today, God? What's in, what are you feeling today, God? The thoughts of God. That's what it says right here. I didn't write this. The thoughts of God. I'll tell you one thing he thinks about is you. Because it, it says in the Bible that he thinks about you as many times as the sands of the sea. So, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God does comprehend the thoughts of God. We have the Spirit of God in us, therefore we can understand and comprehend the thoughts of God. That's what this says. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Another verse there proving to you that you have the Holy Spirit within you. And why does He come? Here it says, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. God has things that He freely gives us. Not because you're so good, not because you're so religious, not because you've obeyed perfectly. It's grace. It's freely given to you. And how do you know those things? Because the Spirit of God that lives in you is going to show you these things if you'll just take time to listen, to go to His Word, to meditate, to say, God, I want to see new things about you. I want to see new things about your generosity. I want to see new things about your nature and character. Verse 13, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. How many times is Spirit mentioned here? A lot. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, verse 14 talks about the person who's not saved. The natural person. That's the person who's not saved. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, that's you if you're saved today and born again, the spiritual person judges all things. But he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord? Earlier we had the thoughts of the Lord. We had the deep things of the Lord. Now we have the mind of the Lord. God, what is, what's on your mind today? What's on your, what are you thinking about today? Who understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. You and I, beloved, if you're born again, you have the mind of Christ. You have the ability to think the thoughts of God by the Spirit of God who lives in you. And today we're going to learn six ways in which God is an amazingly generous, giving God. Number one, God is generous in His Trinitarian being. I've been doing a lot of thinking and reading and studying lately on the Trinity. 
It's a wonderful study. Listen, folks, I am more convinced than ever in my life the Trinity is an essential doctrine of the Christian faith. It is what separates Christianity from all other religions. Do you realize that no other religion believes in a true God who personally loves us? The Muslims believe in an all-powerful God, but He's not a loving God. And listen to this. You cannot be a God of love without the Trinity. Because love requires relationship within yourself. Because God is love even before He created Adam and Eve. And God within His Trinitarian being is love because the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Father loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And it's this non-competitive, beautiful, complementarian unity amidst diversity. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they're all generous. The Father so loved the world that He gave. Generous. The Son is so generous in everything about Him. He was generous in His teachings. He was generous in His relationships. He was generous in His time. He was generous in the manifestation of His miracles and power. And He was generous in going to the cross to pay the debt price for our sin. The Spirit is also generous. We saw it in this passage. The Spirit is so generous to reveal, to work, to be poured out within our hearts, to work sanctification in our lives. So God in His very nature is a Trinity God. And in His very nature of His Trinitarian essence is generosity. What a great God we have. Number two, it's an extension of this, but God is generous in His love. God so loved the world that He gave. 1 John 4, God is love. Romans 5, verse 5, in the context of trials, He says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So even in the midst of trials and difficulties, when we will doubt God's love, we will wonder if He loves us, we will question His love. It's very natural for our flesh to do that. He reminds us the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. God is pouring out His love to you. God wants to show you that He loves you. And so I want to just just let these truths wash over you. They're already in your notes. You don't even need to write this down. But let's be more specific in describing God's love. First of all, His love is personal. He loves you. Sharon, he loves you. (laughs) Paul, he loves you. He doesn't just so love the world. He loves you individually. He knows you. He knows how many hairs on your head. He thinks about you as many times as the sand of the sea. Jeremiah 31.3, he has loved you with an everlasting love. He loves you. He knows you. He loves you. He's committed to you. Now, I understand that many of us have trouble receiving God's love because of our backgrounds, our experiences. Maybe you were raised in a family where you didn't feel loved. And listen, the family is the chief environment whereby God wants people to experience love. One of the most common things I write on my Father's Day card to my dad is, Dad, thank you for helping me love God so easily because you love me so well here on earth. I understand that I'm unique in that. I was raised in an amazing family. Was it perfect? No. But many have not been raised in that. And so many have to overcome those barriers. I know somebody that that for so long in their life, they would interpret things through the grid of their poor relationship with their earthly father. And they had to say often, even out loud, God is not like my father. God is not like my father. God is not like my father. My father would do this. My father would do that. God is not like that. And so they had to remind themselves that of the truth of God's Word, and that's the part of healing, is you replace lies with truth. You proclaim the truth of God. 
And it begins to, it just begins to slowly, so slowly soak into that hard soil of your heart. But the Holy Spirit tills that soil. And as you are allowing God to bring healing and you forgive those who hurt you and you go to God's word and you stand on his truth, it's like the, the hard soil of your heart begins to break up and it begins to, get, to soften and the water of God's love and spirit begins to flow on top of you and it begins to get into that hard soil and it begins to, 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 to produce, the, it goes down to those seeds and those seeds that have been dry and barren begin to produce life. And it's beautiful because God loves you personally. Secondly, he loves you unconditionally. Aren't you glad for his unconditional love? He doesn't love you because you're good. He doesn't love you less because you're ba- when you're bad. He, he doesn't love you if you do this or because you did that. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he's love. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can't do anything good to make him love you more. You can't do anything bad to make him love you less. That's the truth of God's word. Now, does that make you want to just go live like the devil? Never, never, never. The more you understand his incredible personal unconditional love, the more you want to love him back. It invites you into relationship. Number three, his love is sacrificial. You know, it's one thing to say you love somebody. Talk is cheap. But when you demonstrate it through your actions, and he did. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody said once, if you want to know the love of God, look no further than the cross and the outstretched arms of Jesus. That's how much he loves you. It is sacrificial. He gave his all for you. Fourth, it's multidirectional. In Ephesians uh, 3, when Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, he prays for them to grasp, to know in their knower, to get it in their getter. He prays that they would grasp the height and the depth and the width and the length of his love. It's like it goes in every direction. It's so high, it reaches to heaven. It's as wide as the outstretched arms of Jesus. It's as deep as the biggest struggle you face, and it's as long as your life's journey. It's multidirectional. It chases after you. It runs after you. That's his amazing love. Fifth, it's inseparable. The Bible says in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I've had people challenge that verse and because it says, you know, neither height nor depth nor, nor nakedness nor peril nor sword, no, no difficulty. And then it says nothing in all God's creation. They say, well, I can separate myself from God's love. Well, you can separate yourself from experiencing God's love, but you cannot separate yourself from His love because you're something created. And it says nothing in all creation can separate itself from, your, from His love. You can run from His love, you can reject His love, you can refuse to accept His love, but you cannot separate yourself from His love. He's going to continue to love you even if you don't receive it. And His relentless love, His chase-you-down love, is after you 24-7, 365. And the moment you'll give up and you'll just surrender and you'll say, okay, I accept it, is the moment your life can be changed. It's also eternal. It'll never end. It goes on and on and on. You have loved me with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3. It never stops. never runs out. Now this last one's going to blow your mind. So... So just, just be willing to receive this. I'll be, I'd be curious if some of you ever even thought about this prior to today. And before we even get to it, let me just ask you a question. How much do you believe the Father loves the Son? The Father God loves the Son God. 
First of all, let's just reflect on this for a minute. They have existed together from all eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was the virgin birth. But from eternity past, and we don't know how far eternity past is, how much time between the, the eternity past and Jesus becoming a man, it's a mystery. You can't even comprehend eternity. God has always existed. He exists, and He will always exist. That's, let's just go to the point. It's unfathomable. You cannot ultimately fathom it. So, just reflect for a minute. How much do you think the Father loves the Son? That's a good one. I like that. Ooh, I prefer that to unfathomable. Exponen- Who said that? Exponentially. There's no, there's, no way the, there's no way the Father could love the Son any better or deeper. We talked about the Trinitarian being of God is, is the essence of God. It's the completeness of God. They have this amazing relationship within themselves. They are in themselves community. Let us, plural, make man in our image. <laughs> so, exponentially, the Father loves the Son. They've existed together from all eternity. They together created the universe. They together, let us make man, created you and me in our mother's womb. They together participated in eternal redemption. The Father sent the Son. Isaiah 53 says, it pleased the Father to crush His Son. That's what Isaiah 53 says. Did it grieve his heart? Did it pain his heart? Yes, but it also pleased him. How could it please the Father to crush his son? In the same way that Jesus said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You mean Jesus had joy on the cross? Yes. What was the joy set before him? You and me. (laughs) He saw his church. He saw his bride. He saw you saved because of what he was doing. Therefore, he had a sense of joy even amidst the physical pain. So the Father and the Son have this incredible relationship of incredible exponential love. Now, look at the verse on the screen, John 17, 23. Jesus is praying for the church. May they, the church, his bride, not just his 12 disciples, but anybody who would believe after them, and that's you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. So he prays for unity. To let the world know that you sent me. And here it is. Look at that. And have loved them even as you have loved me. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. (laughs) That's what it says. The Father loves you as much as he loves his own son, Jesus. That is unfathomable, exponential love that better. Listen, believe his love, folks. Receive his love. Fight for his love. What what do I mean by that? Satan will do everything he can to keep you from experiencing God's love. Circumstances will scream at you every day, God doesn't love you, that's why this bad thing happened. No. Believe his word. Receive his love. Believe his love. Soak in his love. Let the love of God bring healing. 
Let the love of God bring breakthrough. Let the love of God motivate you to love him back. Take time this week. Here's your homework assignment. Just get still before God for five minutes and say, God, show me your love in a way I've never known before. God, I want to receive your love. I want to believe this. I want to I realize that I've got this barrier. I realize that I've been through this situation that keeps me from receiving your love. But God, I want to receive it to the fullest and see what he does and let me know. Now, an extension and an expression of his love is this next one. God is generous in his grace. Grace means undeserved favor. It means unmerited favor. It's something God gives us when we don't deserve it. That's grace. Reward is giving you what you deserve. Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. And I love the acronym G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. God's riches to us at Christ's expense. Now the Bible says, now listen to this. And I know this is going to stretch some of you. I told the first service, you have 48 hours to wrestle with this. Do not email me unless you have wrestled with this for 48 hours. But after 48 hours, then I will welcome any emails that want to challenge this. But I'm telling you that what I am saying to you is truth. It is rooted in the Word of God. And if you get it in your getter and know it in your knower, it could set you free and do amazing things in your life. But some of you are going to be challenged in the next 10 minutes to think about grace in a way you never have before. And it's going to, it's go, at first, you're not going to want to receive this. There's something within us that will reject what I'm going to teach you. So give me Give me space, give me time, and, and give yourself 48 hours before responding to me personally. But for this truth, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5. Go back just one book. Romans 5 verse 20. As you're turning, the Bible says that His grace is so amazing that it actually increases with sin. It means the more you sin, the more you could experience His grace. The more you sin, the bigger His grace is because with more sin comes more undeservedness. Hang on. Romans 5, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass. What does that mean? It means that God gave His law, the Ten Commandments, all the laws of the Bible, all the do's and don'ts of the Bible, and Galatians really fleshes this out in the best way. And that might be the next book I preach on. I'm not sure. Where sin where it says, uh, the law came to increase the trespass. In other words, listen closely. The purpose of the law was not so you and I would obey it, pat ourselves on the back, and realize that we are so good and deserving of His love and salvation. No, it's the exact opposite. The purpose of the law is to show us how sinful we are in order to drive us to the cross for forgiveness. Jesus took the law even deeper when he said, oh, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Very good, pat yourself on the back, you've never had an affair. Okay, that makes you deserving of heaven, right? Oh, have you ever lusted in your heart? Ah, guilty. Ah, see, that's the law. Jesus took it even deeper. Uh, oh, oh, you heard it said that you should not commit murder, you never killed somebody, great. Have you ever hated somebody in your heart? Yes, murder, guilty. <laughs> so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took the law even deeper but the purpose of the law, as Galatians says, it's a schoolmaster. The schoolmaster takes the student to school, drops them off, their job is done. 
The law is to nail our spiritual hiney to the butt, to the wall, excuse me, to, to nail our spiritual hiney to the wall to show us how guilty we are, how, false, how far short we come to his holiness so that we'll realize there's no hope outside of his grace. That's the purpose of the law. And it makes trespasses increase because I would not know that lusting after somebody was a sin if Jesus hadn't said it. You see, I would not know that coveting is wrong if his law didn't tell me. So the law is to be a mirror, a spiritual mirror. Guilty, 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 guilty here, guilty there, guilty deeper than ever. I'm hopeless apart from the cross. That's the purpose of the law. Now, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the more you sin, the more you can experience grace. That's how good it is. Grace is so good that if you sin a negative five, you get a positive five grace. If you didn't sin negative five, you couldn't experience a positive five grace. Let me illustrate it this way. Zero is like you never do anything wrong. Okay? You don't do anything wrong, you don't need grace. Now, listen, again, give me 48 hours of an umbrella of thinking about this. But I'm going to rate sins. I understand, look, I got a doctorate in theology. I understand that sin is sin before a holy God. And that no sin is worse than another in one sense. But in another sense, there are sins that are worse than others. Come on, let's be real. Many of you might have sinned coming to church today. You went over the speed limit. And we say, big deal. Okay, it broke the law. It's a sin. So let's just say that's a, let's just give that a, a negative 10. Okay? You get convicted, you repent, you receive his grace, unmerited favor. He not only brings you to zero, he actually brings you to a positive 10 because you experienced his grace at a level you would not have experienced had you not sinned at a negative 10. I'll prove it to you another way before I even illustrate it more here. You, 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 you hang around some of these guys in our fresh wind ministry. Addictions. Many of them came from jail. You, you talk, oh, my, 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 here's a better illustration. My brother's, one of my brother's sons, become a friend of his on Facebook, Isaac Holt. He developed this app that is being approved in all major prisons in America. Unbelievable. Because of this app, which has all these Bible tools and messages that these prisoners, because they get an iPad, but only pre-approved things on that iPad, and one of them is this Bible app that, that my cousin has created, or my nephew. Because of that, he's going into these prisons, and he's doing ministry, and you should see these videos he posts on Facebook. These prisoners are worshiping God with everything in them. I mean, they are going ballistic. They make our service look like we're a bunch of Catholics sitting on our hands. And I don't say that critically. It's just, it's just this is the nature of the deal, okay? I understand. It's 9.30 in the morning, all that. And I'm not being critical. But these guys are like going, they're going nuts. Because Jesus said, he who's forgiven much loves much. The deeper you've experienced his forgiveness and love, the more you love others, the more you appreciate and understand grace. These guys understand grace. Some of them have committed massive crimes, negative a billion on the scale. 
but they've experienced God's love, grace, and forgiveness, and they understand grace a lot more than you and I. That's what I'm talking about. So, um, stealing. I would say you steal $1,000 from your company, or you go into your neighbor's house and steal something. I, I put that a little more serious than going one mile over the speed limit. Again, sin is sin, but I just think that's a little more serious. So I'm going to give that a negative 20. You get convicted, you repent, you experience God's grace at a what? At a positive 20. I mean, you experienced His grace at a level that you would not have experienced had you not sinned that way. Just like these prisoners. All right, let's just go... How about murder? I mean, would you not agree that killing somebody is a little more serious than, than, than going a mile over the speed limit? This is my point. Again, I understand sin is sin. It's all an offense to a holy God. You kill somebody. Pretty serious. You take the life of another for no reason. You said, I don't like you. Boom, you shoot them, they're dead. But you repent. You get convicted you sincerely repent. You go to the cross of Jesus Christ and you get forgiveness and now you experience God's love and grace at a positive 100 because you sinned at a negative 100. Is that not what Romans 5.20 says? Where sin abounds, grace even more. <laughs> What's the next logical thing you would think to then propose to God? Well, heck. <laughs> Some of you teenagers are probably a little better at this than us adults because we're so sophisticated. We don't want to admit that we might say, wow, if this is true, then man, let's just go sin more. That grace may increase. That sounds like a verse in the Bible. Anybody know where that verse is? It's right in the next chapter. Ha-ha. So go to Romans 6.1. Just two verses after Romans 5.20. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No. So listen closely. Chuck Swindoll in his book Grace Awakening says if you don't propose that question, you don't fully understand grace. Conviction. He says, if that thought has never occurred to you, then you have a shallow understanding of grace. Because grace is that good. Grace is so good that the more you sin and repent, the more you get it. But, so you don't properly understand it until you ask that question, but if you abuse it, then you don't properly understand it either. Because the answer to the question is, by no means. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So to fully understand it, you need to get to the place where you actually think about abusing it, but if you fully understand it, you will not abuse it. Did you get that? If you fully understand it, if you're really getting it in your getter and knowing it in your knower, you will actually contemplate abusing it. If not, then you haven't really understood it fully. This is how good it is. But when you do fully understand it, you don't want to abuse it because you say, God, I don't want to hurt the God who gave us all for me and makes this great, amazing grace that possible and that good.
Oh, what a generous God we have. Titus 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God has appeared, and it instructs us to deny ungodliness and to live a righteous, holy life. So truly understood grace leads you to holiness, not to sin in order to get more. And that's the beauty of it. And so that leads right into number four. God is generous in the gospel. Now here's the bullseye of God's generosity. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of salvation. Think about it. We are sinful, dead in our sin, enemies of God, by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, citizens of Satan's kingdom, not in any way able to erase that sin barrier or save ourselves. And yet God sends His Son to come to earth, born of a virgin, lived for 33 years, teach the most amazing truths imaginable, perform miracles, signs, and wonders to love His twelve and others, and then die a cruel death on a Roman cross, flogged and beaten and crucified, and then rise again and ascend to heaven. He took upon Himself our sin and the judgment of God so that by simple faith and repentance we could be forgiven and restored to Him. What generosity, what good news. And the fact that it's available to all who repent and believe and receive. What a glorious, generous gospel in Jesus Christ. And once you're in Christ, then the Bible says that all the promises of God are available to you. So number five is, He is generous in His promises. Now this is a great truth because God has written in His Word these promises. Number of promises, hundreds of promises. Some of us have a tendency to think, well, these promises are only for the really good Christians, the only righteous Christians. They're, they're only for those who are pastors or missionaries. Or, but, but I'm just a lowly, normal Christian. I love God, but they're, they're really not for me. They're just for those super saints. No. Let me prove it to you. Next verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made... <laughs> See, even Paul, you realize, I don't even know how many. There's so many, it's infinite. No matter how many he's made. Get this, you guys. They're yes in Christ. So if you're in Christ, Christ is in you. All the promises are yes. Yes. And because of that, then we through him say, amen. So be it. That means you claim it. Claim his promises. What are some of these promises? John 3, 16, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, whoever, whoever, I believe, therefore, I'm not going to perish. I'm going to have eternal life. That's a promise for David Holt, for you, it's yes. It's, it's yes in Christ. How about Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're in a circumstance, it's tough, you feel abandoned by God, you feel like God's a million miles away, but you go to His Word and you say, God, you promised you would never leave me nor forsake me. I'm standing on that. I say yes and amen to that, God. How about Romans 8 and 28, it says that, All things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's a promise for you. How about 1 John 4 and 4? Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. How about Romans 8, 9 to 11, that you got the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and dwells you. That's a promise from Almighty God. How about 1 Thessalonians 4, that He's going to descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. He is coming back. That's a promise from God. Claim it. 
How about that one day Satan and all evil and hell and all sin and sickness will one day be annihilated forever? That's Revelation chapter 21. He promises you that. You can stand on that, that there's a place called heaven that will not have any of that junk in it. And on and on and on. Every promise, if you're in Christ, is yes. It's yes for you. What a generous God. Finally, you know, there's so many ways that I could talk about God being generous. But this last one, I'll, I'll just end with this. He's generous in His abundant provision. In other words, as my heavenly Father and you're His child, He says He'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. He's generous in His abundant provision. Guess what? We have a rich Father. <laughs> Unlimited in resources. My wife and I were watching one of those uh, movies that are based on the Grisham novels this week. I don't even remember which one it was. But it's about that, that, that uh, woman who's in law school and she offers to help the guy who's, who's, who's doing this really difficult case. And he turns to her and he says, what do you charge? And she says, nothing because I have a rich father. <laughs> and I thought, that's us. <laughs> we have a rich father. <laughs> we have a rich heavenly father who, who's full of resources. So I want you to turn now to Philippians chapter 4. And then we'll get ready to watch this short video. Philippians chapter 4. Probably one of the most taken out of context verses in all of God's Word. This is one that you need to properly see in its context before you claim it. Easy to just go to a verse like this, claim it, but don't see the context in which it's written. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory. He's a rich God. Now, the context is the context of they giving to help his ministry. So this one is in the context of financial generosity. And Paul is saying, because you've been so generous in giving, God's going to provide for you. It's a principle that we're going to see throughout this series on generosity. So let's go to verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. In other words, they were one of the most generous, giving, supportive churches that he had in his ministry. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. They continually gave to help support his church planting ministry and, and so forth and so on. Not that I seek the gift. In other words, it's not about me getting money from you guys, but I seek the fruit that is, increases to your credit. Love that verse. You, you have in your spiritual account with God... <laughs> This, this account, and, and every time you give money to things that are eternal, it's credited to your account. It's laying up treasures in heaven. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied because you guys have been so generous. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, he says, and my God will supply your needs. You see how that works? So there's this principle in God's word. It's not prosperity theology. See, all bad doctrines usually have as their foundation something that's good, but it gets, it gets twisted and manipulated. And so prosperity theology, there's a grain of truth in it. But where it gets skewed is when it becomes selfish in its motive and materialistic in its emphasis. You know, that I'm more spiritual because I'm driving a BMW. Look how God's blessed me. You give to my ministry, He'll bless you a hundredfold back. 
I'm going to give you a prayer cloud that's going to be anointed. It's manipulation, it's flesh, and it's materialistic. Let's call it what it is. But the reason those doctrines get off base is because they're rooted in a grain of truth. And here's the truth. So let's bring this up. Here's the principle, and we're going to flesh this out a lot more in this series. Blessed to bless to be blessed. We are blessed to bless, not to be an end in itself, not to become selfish, not to become materialistic. He blesses us that we bless others, and when we do that, we get more blessed. That's just the way it works. I can give you a number of verses. We'll flesh those out in the weeks ahead, but here's just one way to illustrate it. Here is the the riches of God's blessing. Here's the riches of His grace, the riches of His goodness. And what does He do? He pours that into you. He pours that into you. He's giving to you. He's a generous, loving, gracious, giving God. Do you just hoard that? Do you just keep that to yourself? No. You're designed, you're blessed to be a blessing. As you bless others, as you give to others, and again, we're not just focusing on the finances in this series. You give your time, you give your talents, you give your treasure. And then what does that do? That opens the way for God to pour more into you. And as he pours more into you, you continually keep the conduit clean and free to flow out. That's what we're talking about. This is why in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Again, you don't give to get. Motives are huge. We have to continually evaluate our motives. And this is where the prosperity gospel gets off, is that they're giving to get. And they're, it's, again, it's, very, it's a materialistic focus instead of an eternal gospel focus. But the principle does stand. As you give, as you release resources, as you don't keep it unto yourself, it opens the passageway of God continually blessing you. Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That... I will open the windows of heaven and bless you beyond what you can imagine. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the widow of Zarephath, she had to give her last bit of oil in obedience by faith. She thought she was going to die. But when she gave it to the prophet, what happened? God blessed her in return. Her oil never ran out because she gave. Blessed to bless to be blessed. It just works that way. It's a kingdom principle that just works. Now, I want you to hear a two-minute video from a man in this church that, that really lives this, and, and I had the privilege of just picking his brain a little recently. So watch this. One of the things that I've really appreciated about you, Lee, is um, you live with an eternal perspective. And both of us love Randy Alcorn. And I think he's had a huge impact on both of us from the standpoint of how we spend our time, what we value, how much longevity of life is an issue versus doing what's eternal is an issue. Possessions, I mean, money, uh, just that it's not ours. And so it results in generosity and a lot of things. But um, talk just for a minute about how eternal perspective has had an impact on you and particularly as you think about having MS and pancreatic cancer? Ooh, I don't know, that's a tough question. Um, I think more 
I'd more lean into the Randy Alcorn thing in, in that Randy talks a lot about um, money and the generosity and, and, and the fact that it's not ours. And the more you give it up, in fact, you know, one of the things I try and teach the grandkids is if you leave your hand open, God can put things in and can take them out. But if you close your hand, he can't take anything and can't do anything with it. So if we realize that none of it is ours, I'm trying to get away from using the term my truck or my house or my thing because it's not really ours. We just have it for a period of time and it's, it really all belongs to God. And when you give it to him and give it up, it just makes it easier to give up. You're not really giving up anything because it's not yours. And so um, when, you, when you look at it that way, it, it just I think it's just helpful. And the more you do it, the more generosity comes and the more I think, I think the more he puts in your hand. And I'm not trying to do a health and wealth thing or anything like that. It's just... It's just a principle, you know, it's just like in Malachi where he says, you've robbed me because you, you, you don't give. And if you'd give, I'd open up the store gates of heaven and fill your barns like you'd never seen. And so, you know, I have not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And so that's kind of what I lean into and I can't explain it, but it's really been good. So that's where I'm at. So refreshing. I just love that perspective. Open your hand, he can put more in it. <laughs> but you close it, it restricts him blessing you. All right, so let's review what we've learned today. What, a, what an encouraging God and what a generous God we have. He's, he's generous in his Trinitarian essence, in his amazing love. Praise God he loves us, amen? He's generous in his grace. It is that good, <laughs> In the gospel of Jesus, in his many promises that for every believer are yes and amen. And he's generous in his abundant provision. All right, we got time for a few questions. So, um, Robert, can you help me, brother? If you have a question, raise your hand. Um, or just run up to Robert quickly. Questions about uh, what we've talked about today. Um, I have a really quick question, but um, you were talking about Jesus having, like, how it played, uh, ooh, words. <laughs> you said Isaiah 53, that it pleased the Father to, uh, to crush his son, and then talked about how uh, Jesus even had joy on the cross, and kind of talked more about that. What verse were you referring to when you were talking about Jesus having joy on the cross? Philippians 2. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And uh, in Isaiah 53, anybody knows it quicker than I can turn, say so. But it's Isaiah 53... It was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. Um, there was a, there, I think another translation uses uh, pleased him. But in ESV it says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So did you want me to talk about that more or you just wanted the reference? Okay, good job. Thanks, brother. Anybody else? 
you want to challenge the grace thing here, I'll give you, I'll give you the ability to do that before the 48-hour thing because it might bring greater clarity. So if, you, if, if there's some aspect of that you, you want to uh, challenge, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you the grace to do that <laughs> or the freedom to do that. But I really encourage you to think through this in light of Romans 5.20. And again, uh, Chuck Swindoll's book, uh, The Grace Awakening, uh, another really good one is uh, What's So Good About Grace? Another great book. Yes. Uh, yes. This is a question about prosperity, and I'm not going to qualify. I'm not like some, you know, big prosperity person at all. I'm a very frugal person. But my, my thought is, you know, the Bible says that God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. Every resource comes from God, right? Yes. And so... We know that Satan is the god of this world, small g. And, you know, so the riches of this world are right now, we see Satan and his followers, you know, they're having all the riches. But my view is, you know, we are God's children. And the Bible, there's a verse in the Bible that says that God makes us rich. Um, Why? Without the without, but he leaves off the the sorrow. Okay, I know it's to make us rich, to bless others. That goes without saying. But the fact is, I think sometimes Christians erroneously criticize prosperity preachers. I mean, I know some of them are like you said, manipulative and all that, but I think some of them aren't, because I've listened to some of them just to give them a chance, as I like to, you know, even those I disagree with, I make myself sometimes listen through, and a lot of them are preaching the gospel, and they do have jets, and they're using it to go and to preach the gospel in other places. No doubt. Okay, so my theory is, why do we criticize other Christians just because they have money? It's the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money itself. Very good. I love it. Okay, so... My, my thing is, I think sometimes Christians, you know, have this attitude that money is, it's like if you aren't, yeah, you know, I'm, like okay. you're pushing away money, then yeah. you're being evil, but it's the love of money. No, you make some great points, and I'm glad you brought it up, because what we don't want to fall into is a poverty mentality, like poverty is more spiritual, okay? Exactly. But at the same time, and I love this uh uh, Ron Carlson, who's gone to be with the Lord, but he was my mentor in Minneapolis. He said, if you can't preach something everywhere in the world, then it's not the true gospel. He goes, try preaching prosperity theology in Haiti. Try preaching in Haiti that if you just give and you just give to my ministry and you tithe, then God's going to have you, you know, living in a, in a brick home. Probably not going to happen. But so what we don't want to do is we don't want to poo-poo blessing. We don't want to poo-poo somebody who does have a lot of resources. Listen, I know enough from being a pastor 36 years, people who are wealthy, man, the kingdom needs them. I wish more people in this church, businesses would go nuts in prosperity, especially if that person's going to give and help us pay off our debt here. I'd love it. Let's pay off the 1.3 mortgage we own here. That would be awesome. And when we do, we're going to start tithing 20%. And so... uh, so yes, there's nothing wrong with having means, living in a nice home, being blessed. It's all a matter of your motives, your heart, keeping your heart pure. We know that the love, you're right, the love of money, not money in and of itself, is the root of all evil. And so to whom much is given, much is required. 
there's more accountability on the person who makes $100,000 a year than the person who makes $10,000 a year. And actually, statistics show that it's often as your income increases, your percentage of giving decreases. So that's sad. So most people who make $100,000 don't tithe. Many people who make $10,000 do tithe. Because it's, it's harder to tithe as the amount gets larger. Because you're thinking, oh, with this $20,000, it might just be my tithe of making $200,000. What could I do with that? You can do a lot more with that than somebody who makes $20 a week and is only tithing $2 a week, you see? And so that, the it, statistics, and it's sad, is that percentage of giving decreases with your increase in giving or increase in income. I love what Randy Alcorn says. God doesn't increase your, your income so that you increase your standard of living as much as he increases your income that you increase your standard of giving. Pros- prosperity is not necessarily financial, although we think of it that way. If you live in Haiti or some poor country, that some of those people have more joy, which is the greatest gift oh, of all. Oh, I've been there. Americans I've seen the joy of the Lord rich. in those places. Yes. Okay, so maybe if you're in Haiti... And, you know, God gives you a bicycle and you're walking on foot. That's prosperity. Yeah. And then, two, those of us who live in uh, first world countries who have the wealth, you know, we are responsible. The Bible says, you know, we're to be like Jesus who went about doing good. We're to give to the poor. That's right. And so we can bless them. That's right. Through the overflow. We're over here making money to give Amen. to them. So it, even, it should even out, I think. Amen. And, and James says the poor of this world are rich in faith. All right, Geraldine, and then we'll wrap it up. This is good. I love it. You see, I, we touched a nerve. Don't you love it? That's why I love this Q&A, That's because so it, it, it shows that we kind of touching on a little nerve here, and uh, that your comments are so good, so good to give balance to this. Okay. It's not so much a, it's basically a comment when you said blessed to be a blessing, to be a blessing. For me, understanding that was a blessing, mm. because I learned to give without thinking what's coming back. That's awesome. And I continue to give. And, and it's total to the point now that as my situation changed, it decreased, I continue to do what I was doing wow. in spite of the fact that my situation has changed because I understand and I can feel the joy of being able to give mm. even though my situation is a little bit tighter. Boy, that's good. But it's still something about that giving that satisfies me. So I don't change anything. I just keep going until God says, okay, if something changes so badly that I can't, but I'm going to give until... And what you're doing in that is you're keeping an open hand. Exactly. And so I believe it puts you in a better position for God to bring increase in his time. Yes. Because you're being faithful when it's lean times. Yes. And it's, it's, it's refining your motive that you're truly giving to him. You know, you're not giving to get, like you said, and you're ultimately not even giving, let's say it's Living Hope or let's say it's Compassion International or the Great Exchange. You're giving to the Lord, you know? So when you give to those ministries, you're ultimately giving to him, and that should be your perspective. So good, you guys. This is so good. Thank you. All right. Christy, where are you? You can put it on that chair. Thank you, brother. All right, guys, what a great guy we have. Amen? Don't you want to know him, love him, follow him, and obey him more when you know who he truly is? And I encourage you today to just say, maybe take a moment right now. Let's just close our eyes and open your hands and just say, God, what are you saying to me today? What aspect of your generosity do I need to see in a new light and receive in a new way today? Lord, show yourself to me. Reveal 
more of the deep things of God. Lord, we thank you and we pray that you would take your word and your truth today, seal it in our hearts. Let us, let us receive these things. Let us believe these things. Let us hold fast to these things. Let us properly fight for these truths to become more reality in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Prayer team. If